Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. You're listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of Believe Podcasts and the Buzz Radio Network. Former Arkansas Razorback baseball player Tyler Spoon. We have from ESPN's Around the Horn, highly questionable. Also a two-time Dan Levitard Show Suey winner and the <laughs> former head athlete at Cornell Sarah Spain. D1Baseball.com editor Aaron Fitt. And current Razorback freshman star Devo Davis. Mr. Ryan McGee. And we are happy to be joined by Martrell Spate. A former guest of the show, Coach Mike Neighbors from the Arkansas women's basketball team. Former Razorback great and current SEC Network basketball analyst, Pat the Shooter Bradley. Here are your hosts, Kyle Sutherland, Kevin Bohannon, and Porter Hayes. Welcome in to episode 213 of the one and only Hog Talk podcast live from the Heinemann Services Studios. I'm your host Kyle Sutherland alongside Porter Hayes and whether you are listening on 106.7 The Buzz 2 or your favorite podcast forum, we appreciate you for coming to hang out with us and if you're on one of the forums, be sure and hit that subscribe button if you have not already and if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you could be so kind to leave us a five star rating and written review to help us get our name out there and continue to reach more people. The show is brought to you as always by our friends at Bet Online. Football season is back, and as always, Bet Online is your number one spot for both pro and college football. Get the updated odds, props, and contests, including on Bet Online's biggest half million dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest two hundred thousand dollar NFL survival contest. Open now only at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your one hundred percent welcome bonus off your first deposit. Yes, one hundred percent off your first deposit. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. It is Texas Week, pretty big deal, especially for those of you that I mean. It's, Big deal for fans all across the board uh, in Razorback athletics, particularly in football, but especially for those that are 35, 40 years old and older, older, which, of uh, course, we will talk about. And then in segment two, we get some insight from the other side as Coach Cabo and Porter talk with Danny Davis of Austin American Statesman, continuing our preview of the huge game, at least from Razorback fans' perspective. So, First, Porter, good to be back on with you on this uh, back to our normal schedule. My man, how is it going for you this week and now that we're back in the groove of things? Oh, I love it. <clears throat> it means football's in the air. I mean, it, we've all been busy with high school, college, you know, and, and pros about to get kicked off. Of course, uh, tomorrow or on Thursday, you know, the Cowboys open up the season against the Bucks. So, I mean, we're in full circle. I mean, it, it's awesome. And like I said on the last pod, it's so good to have all three of us back together and, and and do two shows a week, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, it seemed like when we were doing that, which it was nice to get a little bit more time, especially on the weekends, and usually record on a Monday or Tuesday. And I know, like, I would do a segment with somebody on a Monday. Y'all would do one on a Tuesday or vice versa. And so it was nice to have that little break and have some weekends during the summertime. But, uh, yeah, like you said, high school kicked off a couple of weeks ago. It's crazy. We're in uh, technically week three, week two by, <laughs> by uh, those standards. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I've already I've already covered six games so far this year. I think six or seven so far this year. So it's uh, it's already going by pretty quick. But um, 
Before we get in to Texas, we would definitely be remiss if we didn't bring up the 20th anniversary of 9-11, one of the greatest tragedies of our lifetime. Certainly, probably not to downplay anything else that's happened in my lifetime, but um, in terms of a global, uh, I guess, having an effect globally, that is definitely the biggest one uh, of mine that I can certainly think of. You know, I, I listened to my parents growing up talking about when they were kids. I think my mom was in second and dad was in third grade when uh, JFK got shot. And they're in their mids, not to uh, just uh, expose their age, but they're in their mid-60s now and can tell you every little detail about that day. And, of course, for many, uh, the, death of, the death of Elvis Presley. We hear about that a lot. The Space Challenger exploding in 1986. Uh, you could also put in there the Oklahoma City bombings in I think that was 1995. But, Porter, I was in sixth grade at this time, not to uh, throw an older joke at you, but I know that you were around uh, the beginning of your college career, end of high school, sometime in that range. And I remember from beginning to end, uh, from the time that the fir- that I heard the first tower got hit, I remember my mom had pulled into my school to drop me off, and then we turned the radio up, and we heard this. And I had heard of the World Trade Center at 11, almost 12 years old, but it really didn't click to me until the second tower got hit and people were checking their kids out of school and we were watching it on TV. For the ones that did stay at school, we just watched it on TV the rest of the day. Of course, my teachers being adults realized that uh, the impact much more than we did. And then my dad picked me up from school and I remember waiting. This is something I, I think a lot of people don't talk about you had to wait literally hours and hours for gas because people thought that we were either not going to have access to it or it was going to get to 20 plus dollars per gallon. Dad and I waited around two and a half to three hours to fill up his truck. And uh, I I remember every little detail. I remember just about every little detail the rest of that week. And uh, it certainly had impacts on there. There was some Arkansas connections. Uh, Tom Burnett, one of the heroes of five of uh, flight 93 that crashed in Pennsylvania, that field in Pennsylvania. He had, I believe a couple of daughters that uh, graduated from Little Rock Christian or at least spent time there. And uh, there was one or two others that I can't really remember completely off the top of my head. But, uh, you know, it hit hit home to a lot of us, and uh, it affected us all in different ways. And, um, you know, it's something that, sadly, too many of us have forgotten or at least chose not to really think about or honor. Um, But it is definitely something as we hit the 20th anniversary, it's crazy that it's been that long, that, uh, you know, it definitely deserves the attention that I think it's going to get on Saturday. Yeah, um, it's one of the moments that even today, 20 years later, as we're talking about it, it hits you. You know exactly where you were. You know exactly what you were doing. And that was the first moment in my lifetime that I was little. I mean, I was a little kid when the the challenger, but, you know, I I didn't remember it, you know. And it's one of the moments you know exactly what to the detail of what you were doing. I mean, I remember I was working at a, at a restaurant at the time, had to go get my sister. She had to work on her car. As I was dropping her off, going back home, I heard it on the radio, went back to my house. And just as I pulled in the drive, turned the TV on, the second plane hit. My dad at the time was actually stationed in the army in Bridgeport or yeah, Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is right across, you know, the bay from new york city i mean you could see the skyline from from where he was at fairfield connecticut so um you know of course you get worried about him i mean he and and at the time he was in the army he was over a guard unit so all his guard unit had to go in and help rescue the people and he you know he lost over 100 people in in that incident along with the firefighters and the police um but yeah and, and to this day one of the greatest sports moments ever in my life was when president bush threw that first pitch out 
after everything happened and it was New York and versus New York, you know? And so to me, that was one of the most moving moments because man, that was back when sports brought us together, a tragedy. You could, you could always go to sports and, and bring everybody together. And for that moment, you know, they used to have a football game between the NYPD or, and the, the fire department. You know, for that moment, they got to come together and just forget about everything, that, all the brothers and sisters they've lost in, in that moment. So, but yeah, that, that still 20 years later, it's still, it, it, at times, like when we're talking about it right now, it feels like it, it happened yesterday. Yeah, it definitely does to me. I remember the 10 year anniversary. I was actually there at the game. Uh, they, they, I think it was Channel 11 that actually did a segment on it that got some interviews from people that were at the game against New Mexico. It was, uh, yeah, I guess September 11th, 2011. I was about to say 2010, but 2011. And uh, I was there in the crowd where they did the the red, white, red, white, and then they did one section of blue. It was a really cool event. Arkansas, of course, won the game pretty big. And and you know that there's going to be – Arkansas is going to honor it. There's going to be plenty of teams. Hopefully just to, just about everywhere will uh, on Saturday when we kick off all those games. And I, I liked what you mentioned about President Bush throwing out that first pitch. You know, there was – not to say that we didn't have uh, – various issues back then but it seems that we have a lot more domestic issues at least maybe it's because social media back then we didn't have social media yes we had the internet but we didn't have facebook we didn't have twitter we didn't have instagram and so um you know we really didn't get a lot of the things that we see today on there whether it be tensions with with racial stuff or political stuff whatever the case may be but you know i know that there is a lot of tension in a lot of various ways even still today and so I, it is my hope that at least for a little bit on, on Saturday and, and even further than that, that we can continue to really focus on, you know, that we all are one. Texas and Arkansas fans might hate each other, or at least Arkansas. I think Arkansas fans probably hate Texas a little bit more. So, you know, that's part of the fun of sports. But hopefully when it comes Saturday, we can take a, take a second and really reflect on that. And uh, that's what you really hope to see. But uh, before we get into this Texas segment, I want to tell you about our friends, our new friends at A-Plus Insurance Center in Ozark, Arkansas. A-Plus Insurance has you covered for your home business, auto, life, and recreational policies. Check them out on Facebook at A-Plus Insurance Center. Visit their office at 312 West Commercial Street in Ozark or contact Marcus Berry at 479-667-3626. That's 479-667-3626. A-Plus Insurance Center in Ozark. Arkansas. Porter, I know um, that I think just about, I can't remember what Cabo's prediction was, but I think just about all of us uh, in our Hog Talk group chat and all of our staff picked Arkansas to win. I did not. Uh, I I don't think it's going to be a, like a 41 to 10 or 35 to 3 type game. I don't see Arkansas coming out and laying over and dying uh, in this, but I, I said on Monday's show that I'm terrified of special teams still. You look at a guy like Deshaun Jameson, I think is his name, their kick and punt returner. He's got three special teams touchdowns throughout his career. He's got one punt return and two kick returns. And looking at the way that our – just even in the in the game against Rice, I know it's one game into the season, there was plenty of things that I didn't like on special teams that really brought back a lot of bad memories from the previous season under Scott Fountain. And I'm not quite sure that I'm – I also am taking into to consideration that KJ – KJ Jefferson had four drops on Saturday against Rice, so you can't put that on him. 
I think that his nerves are going to be a little bit calmed down. There's even Coach Pittman said that he thinks it could have been nerves, and you would think that going into a game like this that it would be worse. However. This crowd is definitely we, – we know who they're going to be behind. It's a good thing that it's not on the road. I think Hudson Card is going to have a little bit more trouble with that being a registered – I think he's the same age as K.J. Jefferson, but nonetheless, he's he's still a redshirt freshman. So I guess he's a year a year behind him. But it's it never really fares well for a redshirt freshman or any kind of freshman quarterback, first-year starter, whatever you want to call it, taking over for a guy like Sam Ellinger on the road. So I do like our chances right there, but – at the end of the day, I, I just don't know that I can pick Arkansas to win this one just because I haven't really even during the offseason because I, I, you know, we saw some good things from them in the second half against Rice, but it just worries me that we're going to make one or two more mistakes than we might, and their athletes that are, are more superior, I think, from top to bottom, that they will come out on top. Yeah, I've, I've got Arkansas winning. Uh, Cabo's in, in the camp with you. He's He's got Texas as well, but, uh, you know, how KJ started off, I mean, we were all concerned. I mean, not anybody who really, you know, watched the game could have not been concerned, especially with it being 10-7 rice at halftime. But then you come back and you score 31 answer points and end up winning the game comfortably. Uh, what I looked at, you know, and I, I went to my buddy, Zach Orange, Ruskin and Zach, and he's, he put down some really good breakdown films of what Texas does – and, and how they do things on defense, offense, and, and their size. And I was seeing Louisiana getting to run the ball really well. They're, they're smaller. And, and that's something that Arkansas is not going to be used to. They're, they're going to be used to going up against an SEC caliber defensive line and not saying they're not more athletic, but just the size. And, and of course, the heat and, and the still in the summertime, I mean, it could come down. I've got a 34-31 game because I think there at the end, you know, Arkansas is going to do something right for once. It's going to go their way and bring this one home. But, you know, with Texas on the defense, they like to do a lot of blitzes and stuff like that. And then they were able to get some pressure on the quarterback and sack him four times. But I just think it with the running game that Arkansas has with Traylon Smith, you know, Rocket Sanders, and then even KJ, he's got that, you know, he got that one game out of the way where he's rusty he's now you're fully because you got to think about it i mean how much of it was they're already kind of similar you can't tell me that some of them guys wasn't already looking ahead you know now that rice game's over with it's a hundred percent they can focus on that texas game get their game plan going you had your number one receiver out in trailing burke so i spoke about that on the last podcast of how important it is to have that number one guy to really set your tone and where you need a guy on third down or second down, you know, if you need a quick completion to make it a third and three instead of a third and eight, you know, you can get that that rhythm going. And I think that's going to be very important for KJ this week is because it's going to be a ruckus crowd. It's going to be something new for both teams, not just Texas, because hell, Arkansas ain't seen a full stadium in a couple of years themselves. So I think he's really going to need Burks, his run game, to really come and set the tone early calm their nerves because it is going to be a ruckus crowd. And, and once they finally settle in, I mean, they can compete with Texas, not you know, just because Texas is more athletic or they might have a way more talented roster. But you look at last year, I mean, they won three league games with some people that were supposed to be on special teams and they were on your defense. So I just have a gut feeling that something's going to go right for Arkansas for once this time. And they're going to get a big key win because man, Browse, Odom, 
Pittman and that that team, they've worked too hard, and I, I just think they deserve a, a game like this. I think what concerns me the most is we've heard back to even last fall camp in 2020, all these different experiences that they've been doing at tight end. Like we really only have Blake Kern is a very he he can block great. I mean, shoot, he's pretty much he's like a biscuit away from being lineman size. I mean, he's a big dude. He can catch the ball really well. But outside of him, we have nothing at tight end. Now, I'm not putting that on necessarily Hudson Henry. I don't think that he's a – some people are starting to put the bust label on him. Look, you can't put the bust label on somebody that can't stay healthy. I know that there's been some times where people have questioned whether he's physical enough or not and all this stuff. I, I'm not going to put that on him right now. He showed what he could do, and again, I know that was high school, but – it seems like, I mean, there's all the Hunter guys or all the, the Henry guys have had had problems staying healthy. Now, I know Hunter didn't necessarily at Arkansas, but during his NFL career he has. Hayden Henry's had the lingering shoulder problem, and then Hudson's had a various a variety of ones. But you look at Colin Sutherland. I, I actually said that he was going to be the steal of the 2020 class, and uh, it's not really coming to light right now. I don't think that we've even seen him in a game. Uh, there was, I think, there was one Nathan Bax that was one. I believe that's his name. That one of the walk-ons that came in uh, went during Sam Pittman's first year. There's one other one, I believe, that's a walk-on. And then, I mean, you've got three tight ends committed right now between Tyrus Washington and Dax Courtney in 22, and then also Shamar Easter in 2023. But they're not going to be walking through that door anytime soon. And so. I think that that is what really concerns me is that Sam Pittman has talked about so many different times that, and and you know what, I I was thinking about it today that there's probably plenty of teams that that really took advantage of that last year that we didn't talk about, not necessarily we at the Hog Talk, but just analysts and radio shows and all that in general that really took advantage of that. And that's what really concerns me is because Pittman talks about what how much he wants. He's had offensive linemen. He's had quarterbacks. He's had running backs. He's had receivers now with Trey Knox. And so I think that's – I agree with you. I think that we're going to be able to run the ball on them, but it's just I, I don't know that I'm quite right there to say and, – and not to say that Texas is some massive powerhouse, but – we talk about Steve Sarkeesian, just what an offensive mind he is, and that's going to be an interesting chess match between him and Barry Odom. But I am extremely interested to see how Texas is going because they played a, a pretty decent game defensively against a really solid Louisiana Lafayette team. How are they going to scheme up things against an Arkansas team that wants to use tight ends but technically only has one of them? Yeah, and it could be part of a scheme too. I mean, because – you got to look at it running a two tight end set. You're you're not going to throw the tight end a lot. So you're given you're putting a guy that might be an offensive lineman or a wide out or anybody put run them in in the tight end drills, and we might be thinking though they're screwing. And I am not saying this is it. This is just my opinion on on what could could be going on. You put an extra guy and you run them through them tight end drills just in case by chance. You, you know, oh, this guy's not used to playing a tight end. They just got him for an extra blocking back. What if they got some scheme special play played in for one of those guys that when they light up tight end, you got somebody wide open because the defense leaves them unaccounted for and they're open in the flat and score a touchdown. Uh, another thing is you you bring them guys to run tight end drills. You're, you're learning how to block at a, at a tight end spot to give you an extra blocking back to open up them gaps for you know the run game and and also it gives you more depth if you're bringing guys in from other positions to block at the tight end position you know you ain't got 
two guys that you got to sit there and waste on for four quarters, especially in a game like this where you know you got some quick athletic guys. I mean, another thing when they were talking about bringing Knox in the tight end, you've got a smaller defensive line. You've got more agility. So it kind of makes sense to bring a wide receiver in the tight end spot, get him used to blocking in that scheme, and maybe get him to where you know you're king on that tight end to get some blitzes to, to really provide that pressure on KJ. Now you bring somebody in like Trey Knox that can pick that up because he's quick and agile, and, and it just allows for just I mean because all you need is one or two extra seconds to where you can find a guy wide open and, and get a big first down or, or even a touchdown. Yeah, and I, I really hope that I, I think that it's just an experimental thing, just like they've done with so many other players, like I mentioned. But man, it's just like it, it'd be so easy to throw the towel in on Trey Knox, which I think a lot of people have, and I guess you really can't blame anybody for it. But I, I definitely think, and this and this is something that's important. You can call me soft for this, whatever. Not you, just in, people in general. Like I, I think Trey Knox might be the the greatest team player that we've ever seen maybe one of the best that we've ever had on campus and you know we've praised him on this show we've critiqued him on this show plenty of times but we've also praised how he could have easily been one of those guys that entered the portal but he stuck it out and you would think that in a game like rice where we weren't sure if Traylon burks was even going to play he did but he was very rusty davion warren for the most part pretty much the same thing you know tyson morris stepped up and make that made that big catch but I can think of multiple games where Trey was in that position like, okay, man, here is your time to really step up and shine. And we haven't really seen that since really the first four games of his first year here. And so you would hope that they can maybe work something out because like the guy just didn't get bad at football overnight. It's definitely things that are going on mentally, I, I would assume at this point. I mean, that's the only thing you can think of for a while after he kind of dropped off. I mean, I know that in 2019 – a lot of things dropped off, not just his play, but he also had that hip injury, and that's what we were thinking for the longest time. But, yeah, just, we don't know. You know, you don't really ever know what's in somebody's head until they tell you, and he hasn't really talked about it. It's not like he really owes us that. But he is just one of those guys that you'd really hope, you know, you, you hate to see what's happened with him. You hate to see what's happening with, with Hudson Henry and all that stuff with his injuries. But, you know, like with with this tight end situation, it's just like who is going to be that next guy to step up? Because again, Blake Kern is a reliable guy, but you know he can't be the only one. And I think with most people, or I think we all can agree on this: what really scared talking about the run game. You talk about Texas's running game with Bijan Robinson. I mean, he's probably the best in the Big Twelve, one of the best in the country, and they've also got a pretty good one behind him and Roshan Johnson. I don't really know how really well-known he is, but I know that they're a pretty good one-two punch. And just, again, going back to Sarkeesian, what he's able to do on the offensive side of the ball, you know, I mean, how much are they going to use? Because, you know, you can't run him so many times. I mean, you wouldn't think that he's like a 25 or 30 down back in the second game of the season, particularly in an away game. But that's going to be interesting to see, too, how they do that because, you know, this crowd is – they're going to have to utilize their running game as much as they can because – I mean, this crowd of 80,000 is not going to show any kind of mercy on Hudson Card. Yeah, and, and that's that's another thing. You know, we were talking about KJ. You got uh, their, their quarterback coming in in a new environment. He's never experienced anything like this as well. So, yeah, I think they're going to try to get that run game going early, just try to settle down and maybe throw a little big play, you know, but to try to do the best they can to cancel that crowd out. That's going to be their best thing is if – because not only one, you can hear the plays, but – 
the quieter that crowd gets, the more momentum you get as an opposing team, like, okay, we're doing something. They're quieting down. They don't have much to chirp about, and they just keep chipping away. And But like we said last week in the Rise game, you keep them around where they're hanging around, there's that momentum that just keeps them in it. And so for them to score 31 answer points, you know, to really – take them out of the game, and then they cruise to the win. I think that's going to be crucial this week is for that defense to get pressure because Sark is a genius. And we can talk about all his stops, what's happened to his last previous before Alabama, his first there before he come back, you know, and everything that was going on with him, he knows what he's doing. And he's got plenty of experience against Odom. So he knows how to game plan against Odom. And it is, like you said, it's going to be a chess match. You know, it, I'm really excited to see that – how that all plays out, maybe him being a head coach and not fully just focusing on that offensive game plan. Maybe that helps Odom out a little bit. But, you know, Arkansas only passed the ball 21 times. You know, the, their leading receiver had 42 yards and, and he had a long of 31. So, I mean, they didn't. They just tried to be, and I hate to use this term, <laughs> vanilla by design, but I think they just tried to be so vanilla with that playbook because – Again, mentioned it last week. You know, you don't want Texas and, and an offensive genius like Sark or, or their defensive coordinator. You don't want to give them any kind of inkling, especially when it's a game you're supposed to win. You just want to come in and run it down their throats, get the team some reps. So it's almost going to be like week one all over again because you're going to see different things from Arkansas this week that you didn't see against Rice, and you're going to see things against Texas that you didn't see against Louisiana. So – I'm excited for the game, and Kyle, I don't know, remember when the last time, I want to say game day, where, where a game like this was so hyped. I mean, maybe, I guess the Alabama game. but I would say, I, I, time, I would probably say, yeah, the, I was there in 2006. Uh, I was a junior in high school when game day came, the day of the Tennessee game. And then, uh, yeah, that was the craziest for sure. But 2010, Alabama, I didn't actually go to the game, but I, I watched it from where my tailgate spot. We got there at – I think we got there at 6 a.m. We left – Con because I was at UCA at the time. We left Conway at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. By the time we got there at 6 a.m., and there was people that already had pops topped, their smokers going, and it was just ruckus all day long until Ryan Mallett threw that last interception. You could hear a pin drop in Fayetteville all throughout that entire county. Uh, but I and would say, think about this: yeah. the game's at six. Oh, so these these cats are going to be up there Friday. Night, yeah, yeah, I'm about to say, well, be all and day. if you and if, if if you are needing a ticket still, I, I'm sure that there's going to be some people that don't make it into the game because of how late it is. So you should have no <laughs> yeah. problem finding one by the time that you're up there. There's you know some people uh, go, going a little sleepy sleep uh, in their uh, in their chairs at their spots. So shouldn't have a problem with that. But nonetheless, it's going to be honestly, man. I'm thankful. I, I I love the game day atmosphere, but I'm I'm kind of at that point at that age. I mean, I'm in my early 30s. I say at that age, <laughs> I just want my recliner. I want my cooler right behind me. I want the bathroom right beside me and my food right there. I'll happily watch it on my big screen. Uh, so exactly, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a ruckus crowd, and uh, you know that's all because of you guys. I think it's gonna fans. give us some kind of old school war memorial. Oh sure, I mean that's what I'm gathering in this because yeah. you remember those LSU games right after Thanksgiving? Oh, how yeah. crazy! I mean, people would camp out on the golf course all day, and then they'd go into the game at night. So yeah. I, I think if if Texas is looking for a ruckus crowd, six o'clock Saturday night. That, that stadium's going to be – I want to see the decibel ratings on yeah. that kickoff. Well, happens. you know Joe Tess is going to talk about those decibel yep. ratings. You can hear, what was that he said? You can hear the ground <laughs> shaking us. Or ground the, shaking under his feet. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> oh, it's great stuff, man. Yeah, him and him and old McElroy. Uh, so I'm sure we'll hear plenty of Alabama stuff too, just uh, since he's behind the mic as well. But oh, yeah, still going to be a good one, guys. Yeah, Saturday night, six o'clock ESPN. And so I'm sure all eyes will be on that. At least every eye in the natural state. Up next, we got Coach Cabo and Porter. They talk with Danny Davis from Austin American Statesman. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Hog Talk Podcast, part of Believe Podcast and the Buzz Radio Network. Located in Fayetteville, Rapology is your top spot for banners, signs, and wraps. From commercial fleet wraps, color changes, vinyl decals, and much more, they take care of you in a timely and professional manner. Call Rapology today at 479-368-6490. Again, that's 479-368-6490. Tackle your to-do list without breaking your back or getting your hands dirty by calling Heinemann Services. Located in Northwest Arkansas, Heinemann Services is your premier company to get those projects done that you've been putting off. Whether small remodels, lawn care, carpentry, and much more, they take care of you in a timely manner with exceptional customer service. Call Corey and his crew today at 479-347-9336. That's 479-347-9336. We want to welcome back to episode 213 of the Hog Talk podcast, where now we go live to the Workman's Travel Center hotline and bring in Danny Davis of the Austin Statesman to go over some Arkansas, Texas stuff with us. Uh, Danny, how's it going? Good. I'm looking forward to checking out Fayetteville for the first time in my life. Uh, if anyone has any re- recommendations, be sure to hit me up in my Twitter mentions because I'll definitely be looking for something to something to eat before game time on Saturday. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to fill up pretty quick, you know, because there's there's plenty of places in Fayetteville to eat. I mean, I know Wrights and Catfish Hole right off the bat. So yeah, I uh, did, down real quick. You, you like barbecue? I mean, I, I live in Texas. I kind of have to. There you go. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, dumb question. So yeah, Wrights Barbecue. That's good. The Catfish Hole. There's a couple different locations, and I think they do have some barbecue, but the Catfish is really good. Uh, man, yeah, you can't go wrong. We'll definitely hit you up. Uh, w- what is your Twitter handle for all of our listeners out there? It's a, at AAS Danny. Awesome. So, yeah, we'll jump right into it. So, what, what's the vibe? I mean, both teams are coming off similar wins. You know, Texas coming off a 38-18 win over Lala and Arkansas coming over a 38-17 win over Rice. So, what's Texas's mood and, and vibe coming into this game? I think um... – Everyone from the fans to the coaches, the players just kind of relieved may not be the right word, but everyone's kind of in a good place right now just because, you know, this Texas program kind of knows what happens. We're only a couple of years removed from the Tom Herman era, starting with a stunning loss to Maryland. And I think people are a little kind of gun shy about that. We're just looking to avoid that happening with this uh, Steve Sarkeesian era starting. So I think people were happy to see the results or, of course, things to work on. And that, and that win over a decent Louisiana team. But I think also people realize that this was Louisiana and not, um, you know, an SEC team that they're going to face this week and a Big 12 team that they're going to face in a couple of week, weeks when, once conference play starts. So I think people are happy um, because they've seen what happens and there's plenty of players on this team that were on that Maryland team, um, I guess, or that Texas team that lost to Maryland uh, five years ago and then again the, the following year. So – I think people are they, – they'll, they'll take what happened, but they also realize that the season wasn't made in one in one week, and they still have a lot of work to do to see get, get their goals and 
the next step is this weekend um, against Arkansas. And Danny, you look at uh, Sark. Uh, he has faced Arkansas five times in his career uh, at USC, at Alabama. He knows how to game plan for a Barry Odom defense. Uh, do you think what what are what are the thoughts around the offensive performance from last week, and can they take the next step uh, and clean some things up this week? Yeah, I think so. I think once again they were pretty pleased. Uh, Hudson Card got his first career start. He went into the season like three career passes. So to see him perform the way he did um, his first uh, time in the spotlight, I think they were happy with that. His stats could have been better, but they pulled him in the second half to give Casey Thompson some runs that get their back up some playing time. Uh, Bijan Robinson's is Bijan Robinson. He's, um, right. you know, picked up where he left off last year. Good 100 yard performance. Um, you know, they left some plays on the table. They were, they weren't very happy with them not being able to hit a long pass. They tried a couple, just weren't able to hit them. And, you know, if defenses are focusing on stopping Bijan. They need to hit those deep passes and make defenses pay defenses pay for that. And they weren't able to do that with some pretty good and electric receivers that they have in that receiving core. So that was an area of improvement improvement that they need although they were pleased with Jordan Winnington who's been really injury prone the last two years having a good game that he had and then the offensive line had some issues but once again this is a season opener um they'll get better as uh they face better competition and get tested more which is going to happen this weekend so um I, I they weren't freaking out too much about the offensive line but offensive line and not hitting those deep passes were kind of the two areas of concern that they talked about this week and I noticed one thing on the defensive line, they're really deep and they, they were really getting pressure on the quarterback. And do you think they really opened their pass rush up in this game against Louisiana to really help get the cadence down and, and prepare them for a running quarterback in KJ Jefferson? Um, I think it's probably a combination probably of that, probably just getting a lot of those guys some, you know, play. Like you said, they are deep. They have a lot of guys in that line that need to get some reps. They have some experience on that line, whether it's uh, some of the grad transfers that they brought in or some of the guys like Moro Ojimo and Keandre Coburn who are coming back who have been here uh, for seemingly ever. So, I mean, you know, they had some guys that needed to shake off the offseason rust. And um, also, you know, you had a guy like Levi Lewis, who's a kind of dual threat guy who, you know, you can't just let uh, dance back there. You have to get after him. So I, I think they probably just executed what their game plan was and, you had to be you had to be pretty happy with the results um, with what they were able to do with a pretty good pretty good quarterback at Louisiana. Everybody in Arkansas has always taken Texas as a rivalry. This will be the 79th meeting, and Texas leads the series 56-22. And over the last 10 games that have spanned the last 20 plus years, Arkansas holds a 6-4 edge. And this team is going to be different from the last team that Texas that we faced. Is going to be different from the Vince Young days. Is going to be different from the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, do people in Texas just consider this another game? Yeah, I was hope that when when I said I was coming on, I was hoping you guys could explain this to me because I I don't get it. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm 36, which means I'm twice as old as the freshmen on this team. And when Arkansas left the Southwest Conference, I was in kindergarten. Yeah. Like, I don't understand the animosity. I mean, I, I, I cover baseball. I cover Texas baseball. So I've seen all the, you know, I've seen plenty of Arkansas, Texas matches. And I, I understand, you know, the fans and the passion and, you know, a lot of the older fans of Texas get it. And they are really happy for this, uh, this matchup this weekend. And I'm sure they're happy to see Arkansas once the SEC thing happens in a cu- couple of years. But 
I don't understand why Arkansas fans hate Texas this much. I mean, I, so, I don't want to say like it's big, bad, bad Texas and sound really arrogant over here, but like yeah. I just don't quite get it. And, and, and I'll say this and then Porter can jump on with it too. When it was the Southwest conference, it was a lot of Texas schools and then just Arkansas. So we had to pick out the biggest, baddest team in Texas and go after them, which of course was Texas. But it's not just in football. Tom Penders, Nolan Richardson, there were some battles back in the, the late 80s, early 90s in the Southwest Conference in, in basketball supremacy. There were some really good heated matchups. I know Nolan got thrown out of a game uh, at the Southwest Conference tournament in Reunion Arena in Dallas. So there, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it that's just not football, which I know some of our listeners that are younger, I'm 40, Porter's 39, so – I was able to live a little bit of it. I've been to a lot of Texas, Arkansas games. I think I've been to five in my history or in my lifetime over the past, you know, 30 years or so, but that's a lot where it comes from. And baseball just kind of took it to another level, especially when we got to play them in the college world series, the Heston Kerstad thing, you know, and Casey Clemens. It's just, I think some of it gets blown out of proportion, but there's such a generational gap. And, and Tom Murphy wrote about it in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette the other day that the Texas-Arkansas rivalry skipped a generation, and it has. But it, but it goes all the way back to the shootout in, in 69 and Richard Nixon being there, number one versus number two. And there's history with it, but it's a long history that has skipped not just one generation, I think, but multiple generations. Well, and add something else is you look at the Arkansas football program, who's their rival? They don't have one. They, they don't have that true rival, and they haven't had in some time. I mean, I guess you could maybe go back to the LSU rivalry right after Thanksgiving is is the one that you can remember the, the most recent, but then they took that game away from, you know, SEC took that game away from the day after Thanksgiving and gave it to Texas A&M. So they're – hanging on to the glory days and they're hanging on to that one school that when it was the Southwest conference, it was Texas. And then everybody else was trying to be Texas. And Arkansas was that one school that could really step up to them in the football program and compete with them on a year to year basis. And that's really carried over to now. And I think, you know, Kevin said it, it's the generation gap. There's a lot of older fans in, in Fayetteville and Northwest Arkansas that remember those days. And, there's really not much been, been much success since then, so they're holding on to when Arkansas was really good on a year-to-year basis. Yeah, one of our um, columnists who's been around for 40 years um, was asking all the players this week if, if they like remember the shootout or what do they or not if they remember what do they know about it. And he got a lot of blank stares, but I'm sure <laughs> a lot of the older readers who read have been reading Kirk uh, Kirk Bowles for years fondly remember that. So I, I kind of think to answer your question that you asked earlier, that's kind of what it is. Um, the older fans know what this is. They're excited. I'm sure a lot of them will, you know, make the trip if they were able to secure tickets. I'm sure those were in a limited, limited uh, supplies, but the players are probably looking at more like this is an SEC team that we need to prove ourselves against as opposed to this is Arkansas that we need to prove ourselves against. We'll, we'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> So, so if you're looking at the offensive side of the ball, what, what does Texas really need to establish early on and, and throughout the game to kind of seal the win or, or, or kind of have them a really good chance at winning the game against Arkansas? I mean, if they can get Bijan going, I think um, 
they have a pretty good chance at pretty good chance of winning. Cause I think once if he's running and he's a threat and he's, you know, nearing that hundred yard threshold, then that opens up a lot of things that takes pressure off your redshirt freshman quarterback that opens stuff in your passing game. Cause um, you know, you're having to stack the box a little bit more. And if he's going, that means the offensive line's playing well too. So I think if they can pound the rock and establish that run and establish it early, I think they're in a good, a good spot. Going over the defensive side of the ball, do you think they saw anything with Arkansas's offense that you think they will key on this week? Uh, I know Arkansas in the past has has allowed a lot of pressure on the quarterback. It's yet to be seen if Sam Pittman and having every returning starter back this year. But do you think there's one thing that Texas will key in on the defensive side of the ball? Um, I'm not really sure defensively. I think when we talked to Sark on Monday, most of the questions were generated about the Arkansas defense and what he thought about that. Um, I think it's not to talk down on Rice, but I think it's a little tough to get too much out of a Rice matchup, even though I know they Arkansas trouble early, but that happens. in I mean, look at Oklahoma Tulane. I mean, that happens in season openers. Um, So I, I wouldn't take too much out of that game, but Obviously, there's some talented, talented players on that side, side of the football. And I think I was looking the other day that they've scored like 30 points in six of the last nine games. So obviously, this is a team that can score. And one of those nine was Alabama and who, who scores 30 points against Alabama. So um, they're just going to have to you know, try to play their defense, do kind of what they did against Louisiana, create that pressure. And, you know, their cornerbacks really weren't tested against Louisiana. So, you know, if Arkansas, maybe Arkansas can provide that test and can see how good that cornerback group is, or if that's a thing that's going to need improvement before the season goes on. And that's what I was going to ask next, you know, outside the D line, who are you hoping to step up on defense and really, really prove themselves on Saturday? Um, well, De- DeMarvion Overton has kind of been like the breakout star of the, um, ever since the Alamo bowl, he's a linebacker. He wears number zero. You'll see him on, on the field. He has like 4,000 armbands on. He's been actually kind of doing <laughs> He's been doing a cool thing. He did a cool thing on um, the season opener. He wore four armbands on his arm and then eight on his leg to honor um, Jake Ellinger, who's his uh, uh, teammate who passed away this past uh, past spring, who wore 48. So that was kind of a um, nice way to honor him. But he's kind of their standout linebacker, led them in tackles, former safety, led them in tackles last week in, in their opener. So um and then they also have another linebacker, Luke Brockmeyer, who is a former walk-on. Um, Arkansas fans probably remember his dad, uh, Blake, who was an All-American um, offensive lineman. So he's been kind of a cool story. And he had a big um, game in his first start uh, this past week. So they have some good linebackers. Um, the secondary, obviously, Texas, um, you know, they fashion themselves as DBU. And they have some nice, nice players back there. But once again, Louisiana really did not give them that test that they're going to get later on down the road to see how good the secondary is. So we'll see if Arkansas can present that or if this is going to be a game that that front seven kind of win, has to win for them. At the preseason All-Big 12-10, you had, of course, B. John Robinson, but uh, the, the other one was defensive back Deshaun Jamison. Uh, is, is he the leader of that, back, that defensive secondary right now? Is he healthy? Yeah, he's, uh, you know, Deshaun is an interesting, interesting case. Um, he's, he's a good cornerback. He's probably – greatest moment it's probably a couple years behind us because he had that really nice one-handed interception at West Virginia Um, but he's kind of uh, you know established himself as a solid cornerback he is a spectacular um, player on special teams Um, 
he is just someone that you cannot kick to, whether it's on kickoffs or punts. He had a long return that was called back last week because of the penalties, but I think he has his career two kickoff returns for a touchdown, one punt. And he's returned a blocked extra point for a, for a, um, for, for a score. We kind of always tease him that he hasn't done that with an interception yet. That needs to <laughs> get on the defensive uh, touchdown bandwagon, but yeah, Deshaun's been a really good um, cornerback. I actually think probably the leader of that group though is Josh Thompson, who's their other cornerback. Who's a uh, you know he's another guy who's been around for a while. Just uh, you know really steady. Uh, used to be a nickelback, moved to cornerback um, last last year and had a pretty pretty decent year. So I think Josh is probably the vocal leader. But Deshaun is a great guy ac- across with him. And like I said, as good as he is on defense, he is spectacular on special teams. And if uh, Arkansas kicks to him, you know they're gonna. You know, they're going to have to bring their A game, uh, th- those guys chasing after them. And I, I'll bring you down to the to, to prediction time. I don't know if you've given your prediction out or uh, through your article or anything yet, but if you was to see the game right now played today, what, what would your prediction be? Um, well, I don't give scores because that just leaves <laughs> way too much room for people to be like, you're an idiot. They only won by 10 points and you said 11. But I, I think Texas wins this one. I think it's going to be tough. I think it's it's going to be – the first real hostile environment that a lot of these guys have gone into because you can't really count anything that happened last year. And obviously they don't, they don't play Oklahoma and Norman. So this is going to be an experience for a lot of those guys. And maybe they get off to a little bit of a shaky start with a shaky start with a, you know, sold out crowd yelling everything, everything at them and their mothers. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think Texas is just, Texas is too talented. I think this is a very talented team I think this is a team that you know maybe has the right coaching in place and I think they they have enough firepower to to win this one um but close I don't think this is going to be a blowout I don't think uh you know the Texas fans are going to be talking trash to the Arkansas fans in the third quarter I think uh maybe on the way to the parking lot they can get a couple words in but they're going to do it (laughs) while running for myself and Kevin Bohannon that will do it for another episode of the Hog Talk podcast presented to you by betonline.ag Special thanks to Danny Davis from the Austin Statesman for joining the pod. Safe travels for all those going up to the game on Saturday and Woo Pig. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.